Thank you, sir. Good morning, Grace family. I was told I was here two years ago during the missions conference. Some of you might remember. And I was told yesterday that was the last missions conference this church has had. So I hope it wasn't because of my lousy sermon that you decided to stop this stuff. I hope you get it back. The food and fellowship was great. But I really fell in love with Grace as a community, as a family. I, I really mean it. I was here earlier this morning uh, before the service, the first service, listening to the songs being practiced, and they brought me to tears, uh, the sense of worship that was happening even during the practice time. So my prayer today is that you would encounter Jesus uh, with a fresh perspective, uh, that we would glorify Christ. I am not here to... I know I'm the mission speaker, but I'm not here to do mission stuff. I am here to talk about Jesus today. And I hope with a fresh perspective, a perspective that has impacted and changed my life for the past few years. I must also say to you that my lovely wife is here, Kenosh. She's sitting in the back next to Dan Hoy, a beloved friend. And I usually, first of all, first of all, the truth is, most churches do not invite me back a second time. That's, I'm just being very honest and vulnerable with you guys. And my wife hardly ever gets the chance to travel with me. So this is a great occasion where she's been here with me twice to this church. And we are enjoying beautiful Hilton Head, beautiful hospitality of your church. And so we are very, very grateful, excited. And I live in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm not that far back. Pastor, you can call me uh, for future trips. That's how we Iranians get ourselves invited, trying to get ourselves foot in the door. Uh, I want to show you a picture. Uh, I was in the country of Portugal just a month ago with my lovely wife, and we celebrated our 33rd anniversary. I actually, we were actually married. We are both graduates of Washington Bible College, and we got married on the campus of Washington Bible College 33 years ago, Dr. Harry Fletcher. Uh, officiated our wedding. But right after we got to Portugal, I hadn't been back in 38 years, that's where I came to faith, in Portugal, as a you know, teenager from Iran, I found the Christian school and the church uh, in that town, and it was through the ministry of these people that I came to faith in Christ. Uh, the people who were running this church and this Christian school were graduates of Washington Bible College Capital Bible Seminary. So the, the little classroom in the bottom right corner is the classroom that those tricky missionaries put me in right after I got from Iran to Portugal to test my English comprehension. And the class that day was about the book of Revelation and the possible end time scenarios about the rapture of the church, Antichrist, Battle of Armageddon, the Millennial Kingdom. I know I have already lost half of you in this service this morning. So that was the first time I heard about Jesus and the Bible in that classroom, in, in that little Christian school in Portugal. You can take the picture. And not because of that day, but for the most part, I ignored the book of Revelation the rest of my uh, time as a, as a believer and as a Bible teacher. I just wasn't interested in all the weird imageries, uh, the weird pictures and symbolism of that book. Till about five years ago, where I came across a book that changed my life and gave me a new perspective 
about what the Bible is trying to tell us about Jesus in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the book of Revelation not through the lens of end-time events. I'm not going to get into those debates. But what the book of Revelation tells us about Jesus, Jesus' heart for the church, Jesus' plans for his mission for the world, our role in that plan. So please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. That's the passage I want to uh, bring some reflections on. And uh, like uh, usually, my messages are basically plagiarism. So I am taking uh, my points from a wonderful book. Uh, the book is called Discipleship on the Edge. Discipleship on the Edge. It's a commentary on the book of Revelation by a guy named Daryl Johnson. He's a professor at Regent College in Vancouver, Canada. And this book was a life-transforming experience for me. And I hope that I can get you a little glimpse of that transformation, that change of perspective, so that this morning you would also look with a new set of eyes at the message of the scriptures. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that you would... Open our eyes to see your glory, your beauty, your majesty, your heart for us, for your people. We come to this church with many things on our mind, many things going on in our world, in our lives. But I pray that your spirit would quiet our hearts. And your spirit would help us look and see who Jesus is and what he is calling us to say yes to. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 1, I believe it's telling us about the glory of Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, unveiling the beauty, the majesty of Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the seven letters to the churches, is the heart of Christ for his church. His will, his calling to the church, the invitation to come and follow Jesus as the Lord and King. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we are taken to the throne room of God. In chapter 4, John talks with this symbolism about God the Father, the one who is sitting on the throne, the majestic, holy God. The creatures sing, holy, holy, holy. He is the Pantacratos, all-powerful, the creator of heaven and earth. But then John zooms in in Revelation chapter 5 looks deeper into the throne of God. And right next to the one who is sitting on the throne, he sees a lamb, a lamb sitting on the throne. So we pick up the story from Revelation chapter 5. Before we start reading verse 6, I want to read verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Many uh, commentators believe the scroll is God's will for the church, for what's happening in the world. What is God doing in the midst of all the chaos and turmoil and suffering and uncertainty and anxiety? What is God up to? There is a scroll. Nobody's worthy to open it except what John hears, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and they worshipped with this song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The song continues in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's the Lamb on the throne. And what I want us to focus on today is five truths about this passage that we just read. Daryl Johnston tells us, it's like Revelation 5 invites us to put on a new set of glasses. I don't have the fancy, fancy Ray-Ban uh, shade, sunglasses, but just imagine that Jesus is inviting us to try a set of new glasses, new lenses, to look at the world, to look at God, to look at reality, to look at our lives, to look at our future through this new set of glasses. And I want to highlight five truths about Revelation chapter 5. Five realities that this perspective gives us about how to face life, how to face reality. So if anybody's writing, these are my, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Presbyterian minister. We want things in order. And so this is a very nice orderly sermon. Nobody's going to get lost what I'm saying, where I'm going. So point number one, what do we learn about God, about uh, life by having the, the glasses of Revelation chapter 5. The fan here is a little bit strong. Uh, we could turn it down. I, I like the cool air, but it's like wind coming here. <laughs> Number one. Daryl Johnson says, how does this vision of heaven clear our vision of earth? This vision of looking at the Lamb on the throne. And by the way, I, I did a Bible quiz in the first service. I'm not going to do the quiz in the second service. Some people might cheat because they were here in the first service. But the command, the most commonly repeated command in the book of Revelation is the command, look. The imperative of the verb, look. Nineteen times. The book of Revelation tells us to look, to look at what is happening in the spiritual reality. We look at, at the chaos of the world. When you look, all you see is Rome, the glory of Rome, the power of Rome, the, the wealth of Rome, Pax Romana, the mighty military of Rome, the priests and temples and the gods of Rome. But look, look and see Jesus sitting on the so when you look at your world, I don't know what you're paying attention to, but the book of Revelation says, look, look, look. So John hears lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a technique the author uses many times. I heard, but what he sees is what? A lamb that was slain. One commentator says, this is the most drastic change of imagery 
in all literature. We are expected to see a roaring lion. What we see is a slain lamb. Number one, point number one. What's the truth of Revelation chapter five? With Revelation five glasses on, we realize that at the center of reality is one who suffers. We realize at the center of reality is a God who has suffered. That's a profound statement John is making. Yes, this God is powerful. Yes, he's Pantocrotos. Yes, he's the creator of heaven and earth. Yes, he is majestic and full of glory and deserves worship and is holy, holy, holy. Yes, all of that is true. But the, the deepest insight that John wants us to know about this God is also this is a God who has suffered. A slain lamb. He's not a lion who wants to rip everybody apart. He's a lamb that was slain. A slain lamb. So at the heart of reality is one who has suffered. Through Revelation 5 glasses, we realize that we are never alone in suffering. The lamb is there in the center of suffering. He still bears the scars of the worst suffering anyone has endured. This is the God we worship. In Islam, that's blasphemy. For many Christians, that's blasphemy. We just have an image of an angry, distant, unhappy God many, many, many times in our minds. But the Bible's introducing us a God who has suffered, a slain lamb who went to the cross, who ran, who ran to you to redeem you, who died for you. This is, this is the ultimate truth about God, about Jesus. The lamb, the deepest truth that John is trying to grasp at with these metaphors and symbols and imagery is the slain lamb. So we realize not only at the center of reality is one who suffered, but we are never alone in our suffering. And I love what Daryl Johnson goes on to say. The throne feels human suffering, which helps explain why the followers of the lamb cannot avoid suffering. The, listen to this. The closer we get to the heart of the lamb, the closer we get to the heart that aches for a suffering world. When Pastor Matthew and Dave Burke went with me to Turkey a year and a half ago, they heard many stories of Iranians who had suffered deeply, profound brokenness of sexual abuse, of addictions, of despair and hopelessness. But in the midst of that brokenness, Jesus was rescuing people, redeeming people. They baptized people. You don't have to go to Iran and Turkey to experience suffering. There is a lot of suffering right here. There is a lot of suffering in the beautiful community of Hilton Head, in the prison we are going to minister to. But that's the world we live in, full of suffering and brokenness. But there is a God who has experienced that suffering who understands us, who is with us in the midst of it, and who calls us to go following the Lamb into the midst of that brokenness. My wife and I went through some of the darkest times of our life a few years back, dealing with life and death issues. And we spent a few weeks at a hospital in St. Louis, not knowing what's going to happen to our family. No sign of God, 
healing, blessing, answered prayers, nothing. Utter darkness, total suffering, absolute abandonment. But for three weeks every night, she and I would go sit in a chapel of this church. It was a Catholic hospital. And all I could do was to look at the crucifix at the front of the church. And all I, I would just lay there, I would just sit there, put my hands on the benches, and just stare at that. I didn't know what was going to happen in my life, but one thing I knew and I was hanging on to, that Jesus had gone to the most remote corners of the world, the darkest, most painful abandonment on the cross for me. He understood my suffering. I wasn't alone in my suffering. That's the only hope I had in my life. So at the heart of reality is a God who suffers, a slain lamb. Point number two, Revelation 5 glasses. When we put them on, we realize that at the center of reality is grace, costly grace. This lamb was slain not because he's a weak lamb, but because he died for us. He was sacrificed for our atonement. The book of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Christ, and he tells us about this lamb. In Isaiah chapter 53, I'll start from verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This lamb was slain for us. So at the heart of reality is grace, costly grace. Again, many of us might be sitting in church today thinking God is just frustrated with us. He's not happy. He's not pleased. But this is a, I hope this passage reminds you that this God loves you beyond your wildest imagination. Philippiansi, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he says, grace means there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Grace means there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. He has proven that love on the cross. A lamb that was slain for you and for me. This is the Jesus we are invited to worship. So that's second truth. The lamb goes to the cross for us. The lamb goes to the cross because of us. The lamb goes to the cross instead of us. That's the truth that Revelation chapter 5 is helping us focus. Truth number three. With Revelation 5 glasses on, we realize that we work from the victory, not toward it. What does that mean? Revelation chapter 5 tells us that Right now, Jesus is sitting on the throne. Right now. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear, anxiety, prejudice. We can be concerned about what's happening in our country, what's happening in our home, what's happening to culture and politics and economics. We can have concerns and we can you know, work for righteousness and speak the truth in love and stand up for what's right. But we don't have to do it out of a place of anger and frustration and worry and anxiety. 
because we can confidently believe that Jesus is on the throne right now. Right now. When John is writing this passage, you know, I was just blown away. Christians had nothing. They had no status, no wealth, no temples, no priesthood, no safety, no army, no power. Everything was in the hands of Rome. And yet, the Bible dares to have us believe that Jesus is sitting on the throne in the midst of the persecution of Christians. Jesus, right now, is still in control of history. In my first sermon here two years ago, a line that I always say in my sermon is, the rise and fall of empires is the scaffolding by which Jesus is building his church. Just in the past few weeks, over 80 Iranian Christians have been arrested and put in prison for their faith in Christ. We've seen Iranian Christians who've had to flee for their safety and become refugees and spend years in legal limbo. And yet I have never met an Iranian Christian leader whose life is paralyzed by fear, despair, or anxiety. Because in the midst of all the trials and persecution and, and dangers, they really believe Jesus is on the throne. They really believe that. In my first sermon, one of the lines I use is, Jesus is running around loose in the Muslim world. And he's really doing that in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of, in the midst of a lot of dangers, in the midst of pastors being in prison, churches being shut down. Jesus is still on the throne. And the kingdom of God is going forward. So that's Revelation 5 glasses gives us this perspective. When you sleep at night, are you confident Jesus is on the throne? In dealing with marriage issues, dealing with children, dealing with jobs and financial security, what's happening in our country, can we work from a place of trust that I don't know what's happening, but he's on the throne right now. And so we work from the victory, not toward it. The lamb is already on the throne. The church enters, enters the battle with evil, not in order to win, but because Jesus Christ has already won. The thank you, thank you for that amen. The major battle of the war has already been fought. It's just a matter of time until the war itself is ended. And the final outcome is not up for grabs. We know the victory in Christ. So that's Point number three. Point number four. Are you guys following the points? Are you, are you guys thinking about the beach this afternoon? It's still too hot out there. Let's stay in the air-conditioned church for a few more hours till it's cooler to hit the beach. Point number four. With Revelation 5 glasses on, we realize that the way to the fullness of life is the way of the Lamb. The way to the fullness of life is the way of the Lamb. The lion gets to the throne. How? By being a lion? No. By being a lamb. A lamb who in servant love gives himself even for his enemies. The way of victory is the way of the lamb. One of the reasons we don't like the book of Revelation, some of us don't. I was among one of those people. Is because I thought it gave an image of Jesus as a very violent, vengeful 
returning Lord. And then I realized that that's not a good way to look at the book of Revelation. The sword the book of Revelation talks about with Jesus is never in his hands. The sword is coming out of his mouth. The sword is the Bible. That's the Jesus sword. The blood on his white robe is not the blood of his enemies. It's his own blood shed on the cross for his enemies. The way of the world is hatred, competition, revenge, beating the opponents, making yourself look good. The way of Jesus is loving your enemies, not cursing, but blessing, not hating, but loving, not revenge, but forgiveness. That's how the lamb wins. And that's how the lamb's followers are called to win. The lamb is not a dummy. The lamb has seven eyes. He's wise. The lamb is not weak. He's not a wimp. The lamb has seven horns. He's immensely strong. But here's the secret. The secret you would never know through an ordinary set of glasses. The greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. The greatest wisdom is in the universe is the foolishness of sacrificial love. Basically what John is saying in Revelation 5 is what Paul says about the cross. Paul says the cross is the foolishness and the weakness of God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Paul says the cross is the, is the wisdom and the power of God. Which is, it says the foolishness and the weakness is stronger than the strength and the wisdom of the world, but ultimately, through the eyes of faith, the cross is the wisdom of God and the cross is the power of God. In John's symbolic language, the slain lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. So there is strength in sacrificial love. There is strength in following the way of the lamb. And the final point, point number five, with Revelation 5 glasses on, we realize where it's all going. History is headed to the feet of the Lamb. The whole direction of history is going to the worship of Christ. Every tongue and language and people and nation. Jesus' plan is mission of the gospel to cover the earth to bring his people home. That's his vision. That's his dream. Will you say yes to God's dreams for you and your church and your life? That's where it's headed, the worship of the Lamb. That's where it's headed, the redemption of all people groups. And I, I'm not saying this to, we have an Iranian expression. It's a weird expression, but you're going to get it. In Iran, if you say, I don't want to, say something to, I don't, want, I don't want to just kiss up to you. We say, we'd, I don't want to put watermelons under your arms. I don't want to say something to just make you feel good about me. I am saying this with a genuine heart. I really believe Grace family has a very sensitive heart for God's dreams for the world. I believe that. Why? Because your pastor told me when I came here two years ago, he had never met an Iranian guy in his life. I was the first. 
And a few months later, he and Dave Burke get on the plane to go to Turkey to meet lots of other Canadians. And now Grace wants to join Iranian ministries in partnership. Grace wants to be at the forefront of the launch of a strategic ministry initiative where we come behind a number of key Iranian ministries to promote their work, to strengthen their work, to encourage them, to support them. And Grace is at the forefront of that work. One of my Iranian ministry friends is going to come visit you guys in a couple of months from Holland. Be nice to him, please. <laughs> and from, for, a, for a pastor who didn't know a single Iranian two years ago, to being at the forefront of Iranian ministry and supporting Iranian ministries around the world, that's an incredible sign about your sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. So I really believe that grace is a special community. I'm not, I'm not putting watermelons under your arms. I really believe it. And I'm asking more of you to connect with that dream, to connect with what God is doing. You are already supporting lots of fantastic ministries and missionaries around the world. And I believe in God's timing, He has brought Iran to you. I came as the first Iranian guy and two years ago I said, I want to introduce some of my Iranian friends to you. And you guys said yes to it. And I think this is the heartbeat of Jesus himself for his mission. Because one day the world is coming before the feet of the Lamb to worship. We will all sing from every tribe and language and people and nation. We will sing together Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Jesus' heart for the world. That's the Lamb's vision for the world. Daryl Johnson said, Nail-scarred hands hold the scroll, and when the Lamb breaks the seals, we discover that everything, even the forces raged against Him, serve His purposes. The scroll unrolls toward His kingdom. The dimensions of our world and the quality of our lives are determined by the dimensions and clarity of our vision. Let me read that again. The dimensions of our world and the quality of our lives are determined by the dimensions and clarity of our vision. If we are to live fully human lives, there must be a change in vision. I hope your vision has been adjusted this morning. My vision was. I read the book of Revelation and started studying it in the midst of a time in my life where my life seemed like it was falling apart. A lot of sleepless nights. A lot of suffering and confusion and darkness. And I took to heart the message, look, 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 the land. By looking at the lamb on the throne, the slain lamb, with seven horns and seven eyes, 
we understand that at the heart of reality is a God who suffers. We are not alone in our suffering, but we are called to move into the suffering of this broken world if we want to get closer to the heart of God's throne. So at the heart of reality is a God who cares, who suffers, who is near us. At the heart of reality is grace, costly grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Usually in Iranian conferences, a lot of Iranians deal with a lot of shame, a lot of trauma, a lot of angry images of God, a judging God from an Islamic background. And my prayers in all these conferences for people to see the smile of Christ. For people to see the compassionate eyes of Christ. No shame, no condemnation. He ran to you to find you, to grab you, to rejoice over you. So at the heart of reality is grace, acceptance. We need to understand that right now Jesus is on the throne. So we don't need to get upset by the news of chaos every night. We can be confident that, yes, we need to speak the truth. We need to be light. We need to be salt. But not do it out of a place of anger and frustration and despair and revenge, but out of a place of love and speaking the truth in love. Out of a sense that the most important mission is sharing the gospel and bringing people into this kingdom than just winning an argument. We need to understand that the way that the Lamb wants us to live as His witnesses and ambassadors is by following the way of the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, the weapons of the church in this spiritual war is not killing the enemies, picking up sword against the Roman army, burning down temples, cursing pagan priests. The way that the Christians are called to persevere in this spiritual warfare, according to the book of Revelation, is to pray and intercede, is to witness to the truth, is to be faithful and obey God's will. That's the weapons of the followers of the Lamb. To do good to those who do evil. To stand in faithful obedience to the, to the Son. So the way of life is the way of the Lamb. And finally, we need to be reminded every day that history is headed to the worship of Jesus the feet of the throne. Despair, one theologian says, is not an option for Christians. We don't live in despair. He's already won. One day, the fullness of his victory will come to earth. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. One day, all the tears will be wiped. No more death or pain or suffering. But till that day, we persevere with hope because we know where it's headed. Amen. Amen. I will pray and then also say the benediction in Farsi. I'm not going to be speaking in tongues. No panic. But let's pray. Jesus, you tell us to look. I pray that this morning, everybody at Grace Church looked. I pray that they saw the slain lamb on the throne being worshipped. Lord Jesus, assure us 
that you are a God who has suffered and understands what we are going through in our suffering. You're a God who tell us not to escape from suffering, but to take the hands of our shepherd and walk through the valley of suffering. Assure us of your grace, your unconditional commitment to do good to us. Lord, help us see that you're on the throne so we don't need to panic. Give us a vision for how we can courageously pick up our cross and follow the Lamb towards fuller victory in our life. And help us live with joy, confidence, and expectation that the victory is coming and we need to be faithful. Thank you, Lord, for today. And I pray for your abundant blessing on grace as they discern what are the new calls from you towards your mission in the world, towards new people groups that they can come alongside and bring encouragement, bring hope. بحال فیض خداوند ما عیسی مسیح و محبت خدای پدر و مشارکت روح القدس با شما باشد و بماند از حال تا ابد الابد آمین.